and welcome to our living in my youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Abby Hagyard. Now, Abby portrayed the mother, the librarian, and basically all the other adult female characters on Nickelodeon's You Can't Do That on Television. The show ran for 10 seasons, one of my favorite shows growing up. And if you look at it, it's really the first show that didn't BS for kids. And it really made the adults look like the fools. And if you look at Nickelodeon shows these days, they still use that format. And it really dates back to You Can't Do That on Television. Also dating back to You Can't Do That on Television is Slime. Because that's where it originated. So if you look at Nickelodeon now with the Splat, NFL Slime Time, the Kids' Choice Awards, they could all think You Can't Do That on Television for that. We talk about also the most famous kid actor from that show, Alanis Morissette, who ironic, don't you think, that she was only on the show for five episodes. Talk about some of the other characters and why the show was never rebooted or remade. She also wrote a book a few years ago called Fame, where she interviewed a bunch of people who live their life in the spotlight because being famous for something is the one thing they all have in common. She interviewed uh, people from You Can't Do On Television as well. She also did a lot of voiceover work for the Care Bears, Adventures of Teddy Ruspin. Dennis the Menace, for better or for worse. But what's really fascinating is one of her very first jobs, working for Playboy, not in Playboy, not inside the magazine, for the magazine. And her story of getting the job is fascinating. I really enjoyed my conversation with Abby, and I hope you do as well. Hi, Abby. Hello. Hi. <laughs> You're wearing slime. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the story about it. <laughs> it's the, the legacy of the show. Nickelodeon Slimehead. <laughs> Very funny. Very yes. funny. Yes. So my, my, my son, uh, every year my mom takes him to uh, a trip every, you know, christmas break so this year he went to la he's a big los angeles rams fan so every the last couple of years um nickelodeon's been doing a football game on their network where they kind of like do it for kids and stuff like that so they they gave out all these hats to the fans brilliant my, my son must talk about 15 of them so he, I, I, like he was getting like offers in the streets on the way back it's like you know 15 20 50 dollars like no you could have made so much money Meanwhile, he has like a bin of these. Like, what are you going to do with them? You save one or two, but that's my son. So maybe he'll put them on eBay some, somewhere down the road. But it's just like. Well, you should send me one and I'll autograph it. I definitely will. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly have enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I look, I look like a jackass, but yeah. Oh, well, wow. I think I think the, the most important thing is the, that I've noticed over the years um, is that people are really. Um, leaning in and enjoying how good it feels to look back at when you were 12 or 10 or whatever it is when you watch the show because it it really felt like the show was written for kids right and no television really ever was written for kids it was written by adults for the advertisers who were trying to sell toys to kids yeah of course yeah and so you know the kids were were sort of like um 
they were the, they were the 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 byproduct. It wasn't really yeah. about them at all. And right. uh, so so something like that, you know, seeing that you think, yeah, it's a special kind of silly. And, yeah. and I think I think it's um I think it's really healthy. I think it's really important that that we have that outlet. You know, when I do the right. fan events and people come up and they're saying, Oh my god, it's really you. And yeah. I, I I I have the costume because okay. I I bought the costume. Right. Okay. I chose I chose to look that unfortunate. No, can you believe? <laughs> so when the show ended, I took the costume with yeah. me and people said, Will you wear it? Not at gunpoint. But what <laughs> I do is I I, I bought a, um, a a seamstress's mannequin. Okay. And so I have the I have the the costume on a mannequin, right. and then I have a wonderful um, a close up of mom smiling and looking, you know, like that. Mm. And I had it printed, and I stick that into the neck of the dress. So if you just turn your head quickly, and yeah. so I have that. And if I stand next to it, it's a real it's a real double take moment. You know, how can I be right. in two places at the same time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's great. I like the idea that people want to ask questions and want to know things. And, um, you know, I'm in touch with, I, a few years ago, I wrote a book called Fame. Right. right. And I interviewed um, a bunch of the kids. Okay. And also some some adults that I worked with who worked at the same television station and people right. that I've done other shows with. And I asked every everybody, because so the whole book is just about those people and I had tons okay. of pictures and whatnot. And... And I said to them, what's your definition of fame? And I didn't realize when I asked it the first time that it was going to be such a, a, an interesting hook. Right. Because I was now talking to my kids and they're 50. Right. So yeah. the last time I talked to them in any way about the business, they were 12. Right. And so, so I, you know, and, but I, I stay in touch with, with so many of them. Okay. And so I was saying, so, when you think about the time and and what your commitment to the show was and what you thought your commitment to the show right. was going to be, can you now, from where you are today, look back and say what that experience was that you went from being a perfectly ordinary 12-year-old and suddenly you're a somebody? Yeah. But you're in a small town in Canada. It's not like you're on, on Hollywood and Vine, you know, it's right. not like you're in New York, yeah. Ottawa, for heaven's sake. And and you know what was so interesting, Noel, is that every single one of them had a completely different answer. Okay. And that's when I realized that recognition and anticipation of recognition is is totally mm -hmm. self is totally subjective. It's not a universal. Right. And so one of the reasons that people, I think for you, enjoy your podcasts is that they're getting an opportunity to listen to famous people not being what they what they are known for, yeah. but they're just sitting and having a having a conversation yeah. with you on yeah. camera and allows people to see something they wouldn't ordinarily see it's right. not behind the scenes it's yeah. not like you know you go to a you go to a fan event and there's a panel it's yeah not that. right it's, it's just i'm 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 sitting here in in my little den yeah. you're sitting there in your little den and we have something in common and the, the something in common is that show right i i think that that has a real um substance to it that people yeah. really 
want to know what celebrities are like when they're just just people. Yeah, being home. Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I'll ask you about the book and the show, and like also about the kids and if social media would have been different if, the sh- if they had it back then, they would have been probably much bigger stars. Um. Or I mean, stars, but maybe more famous, more recognizable, less private life. The so the interesting thing about about the show, two two very interesting things about the show. The first was that they were brilliantly coached. Okay. They were brilliantly coached to just be themselves, which is terribly difficult to do yeah. on the best of days. Right. You take a twelve year old and you put them in a in a in a in a television studio. It's the size of an airplane hanger. Yeah. It, there's nothing normal about it. There's this set that's the kitchen or the dungeons or whatever, but the ceiling is way up there and there's a grid and there's lights hanging from yeah. it, and there's big chunky cameras and there's crew all over the place. Yeah. And we're asking those kids to just be themselves. So it took a lot of coaching. If they had known at the beginning yeah. that they were famous they would have been self-conscious. That's true. It would have become, well, toward the end of the show, we, we, we stopped the show for, for a year. Okay. And when we came back, we needed younger kids. And the younger new kids all knew that they were going to be famous. And they all came in with yeah. a little bit of this going on. Okay. And it, it wasn't the same kind right. of show. There wasn't the innocence. There wasn't the natural, spontaneous. And also, Carol didn't coach those later kids. Okay. So they, they were acting whereas the kids in the in the in the majority of the show they were role playing they were playing matthew is matthew the way matthew behaves he's in the kitchen and his mother says something stupid it's matthew responding genuinely not not acting so if there had been social media the show would have suffered because the kids would have become celebrities. Yeah. This way, what we got was, I mean, when they got, you know, when they flew them down to open a shopping center in Texas, or they flew them to, to Washington for the Easter egg roll, yeah. or the, the Macy's parade in New York, they knew they were famous because thousands of people were screaming their, names. their names. Yeah. Doug was Doug, Christine yeah. was Christine, or right. Moose. So I, they weren't any less famous. What they had going for them was that nobody in Ottawa cared. Their classmates didn't care. Right. It wasn't a big deal. The show wasn't a big deal until later on in Canada. So they got to be normal and anonymous and live real lives and not be overburdened by the exposure, by, by what would have been you know, this is my good side and this is my other good side. And that would have ruined it because they're 12, you know, they don't, right, yeah. they can't, they can't separate it. Right. So um, I, I really think that social media has created um, a forced set of performance rules and expectations that people have to decide to live up to. Right. And I think a lot of people, they say things online that aren't true in order to present a a false reality of themselves for the world, you know, say, hey, I'm fabulous, when really they're not. Right. 
these kids got a chance to just be. And I, I think, um, I think they were really lucky because so yeah. many kids are suffer from, from fame. They suffer from, because some, you know, some of them, most of them didn't continue. Right. Once they exactly. got too old for the show, yeah. they, they weren't going to auditions to do the next thing because they, they, they were, they were needed and wanted when they were that they weren't needed and wanted yeah. 10 years later. Right. So it's, it's an, it's a fascinating question that you ask. And I think that, because a lot of people say it would be great to do a reboot. You can't. No, no, you can't. Because those no. kids are 40 now, 50 now. Yeah. They're not going to go. And it was funny when I, when I did the fame book and I, we, we did the book launch, I had the lockers and Kevin is in the book and Christina's in the okay. book. And um, so uh, we had five or six photographers at the event and there was a documentary being shot and uh, somebody said, uh, Kevin, it would be really great if you and Christine came out of the lockers. So Kevin is six foot five now. <laughs> and so he, he's behind because it's yeah. just the doors, right? He's behind. He opens the locker door and he says, you know, <laughs> these lockers were bigger. <laughs> yeah. This is being bigger. Right. I can't get my shoulders through, you know. <laughs> so that, that's to me, that is the tangible reason a reboot wouldn't work. Yeah, and also just like the things that went on during the show, you know, the father or like Bart smoking on, on set, or you're not going to put a kid in front of a firing squad these days. You know, I mean, they have that unfortunately in schools, you know, unfortunately, but it's a lot of the other stuff. It just made the show kind of like innocent back then. Yeah, That's probably why they even they even tried to do like a remake with a whole new cast because Roger Roger was saying. There's a trick. If you offend everybody, you offend no one. Right, it's true. So if you make fun of every nationality, you make fun of every cultural norm, you make fun of every preconceived notion of what is uh, correct, you make fun of all of it, then, then you become that show that does that. Right. You don't get people saying, how dare you talk about green people that way? How dare, you know? Yeah. So. So and he was very clever that way because really we we did alienate everybody as often as possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's so true. Now, when when you came on the show, you weren't really there the first like season. I don't think right. You came on a little bit no. late. Like like, like Ruth, no. Ruth so, Busby was on the show for a couple. Ruth of Busby times, was right? when 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 Roger produced the show, and his intention was that it was going to have an American market because you know more people watching. Right. But, more advertisers happy. Uh, he really felt, and he was persuaded by a lot of people, that you needed to have an American uh, star okay. to uh, guarantee that the advertisers and the viewers would would identify with the show. So part, and, and, and I'm sure you realize that part of the structure of the show was a sort of a send up on laughing. Yeah. And so they said, well, we already have Les Lyon. He's brilliant. Why don't we see if Ruth Buzzy would like to? Okay. Because there she was. So, and 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 she was wonderful. And and then this interesting thing happened. In that first season, Christine was going down and doing streeter interviews. Right, I remember that. And one of the questions that they that she asked, whether it was on camera or not, or whether they cut it out, was, "What do you like about the show?" And they never, the kids never really said, 
oh, we love Ruth Buzzy. Okay. It was all about the kids and the jokes right. and the and the crazy shenanigans. So at the end of that season, Roger said, "Why are we spending all that money if 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 she is not the reason they're watching?" Yeah. What what's up with that? So they pulled her, and they just did it with less. Yeah. Uh, with less live for. I think it was part of the season, the next season. And all of a sudden they were getting all these fan letters asking if dad was a widower. Hmm. And the conversation was, I guess we better find an actress. Right. Who, who fills in, you know, that. And, uh, and the, the woman who coached the kids is my best friend. Okay. She said, Roger, I know somebody, I know somebody who can do exactly what you need. And she's worked with Leslie on a lot of other productions. She's very versatile. Um, you need to, you need to meet her. And so, you know, Roger just, he really didn't care. He just wanted to have somebody fill the shoes, do the yeah. thing because it's all about the children. Right. So, so when I went to meet him and she, and she said to me, you want to do this? And I said, I don't work with children. And she said, it, it pays really good money. And I said, how good? And she told me, and I said, oh, suffer the children. Yeah. And, um, and when I met him, he was fascinated by the car I was driving. He talked about my car right. all the way through lunch, all the way to lunch, all the way back from lunch. And I'm thinking, right. this is not going the way, it, you know. Yeah. So we got back to the station and he said, well, thank you very much. Um, I have to go to work now. And I said, can I ask you one question? He said, all right, but, uh, you know, yeah. click about it. And I said, when do I do the audition? And he said, audition. Yeah. Oh, oh, uh, oh, yes, that. Um, do you smoke? And I said, no. He said, oh, oh, fine. Well, then you're hired and uh, we'll have we'll have you come in for costume and makeup. Right. He talked about my car. Right. <laughs> for the entire two hour lunch. It is the only job I have ever landed because the, the producer liked my like the car. car. He didn't know if I could act. He yeah. took he took Carol Hayes' word, word that I was what they needed. And so that's how it started. And so that's why I came in um, in the second half of, I think, the first full season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, if you didn't have a car that he liked, then you probably would have had audition. Or maybe she, you wouldn't even have to... <laughs> He had basically no, thank decided you. If, yeah, if Carol Hay, if Carol Hay said I was the one, yeah, and and I didn't do anything offensive like smoke, and then he said to me, "Okay, there's only two rules: never look at the camera directly at the camera, and never upstage the children." Mm -hmm. And I said, I opened my eyes very wide, and I said, "Okay," because of course my full intention was to yeah. look directly at the camera and right. upstage the children. the children. Yeah. So it it didn't take long, um, when he realized that I was. There was nobody like Les Lye. Yeah. But I was a good compliment because I could play all these other characters and voices right. and whatnot. So then he started getting adventurous and we, you know, we, had, we created the librarian and we created the yeah. other characters and whatnot. So it was just, but it was a, it was a decision to be strategic in hiring Ruth. It would just, it was a decision to stop wasting money if it wasn't essential. Right. But then what was essential was the presence of an adult female on the show. Because Christine sometimes in that first 
sort of half of the second season, she would dress up and pretend to be, and okay. some other kids would dress up. But it's not the same. No. It's not the same. You know, all the, all the male adult characters were played by an adult male. If you're going to have adult females, you need an adult yeah. female. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And Les, I mean, he was brilliant. I mean, all the different characters you know, he portrayed in the show. And, and I heard that, like, he would have scripts basically everywhere, like, hidden. Like, if he was Ross, he'd be on the clipboard because he had so many scripts and so many different voices to do. So he had to remember the script. So he, had, he like, kind of had it all over the, the place throughout the set. So Les Lai um, was a radio performer. And he had done that for years, decades. And he created an alter ego and a radio, of course, they can't see you. He created right. an alter ego whose name was Abercrombie. Okay. And Les could ad lib brilliantly. He was very quick, very funny, very clever. Um, he didn't write the scripts. He wrote some, he added right. some touches of, of his own as did, as did everybody really. Okay. But when you have the the number of sketches the number of children the number of costume changes the number of uh locations yeah. um he was focusing on the characters and so have because you, you have to remember every sketch was 30 seconds long right so in a half hour show it's a lot of a lot of sketches yeah. Rather than memorize the line, um, he was focusing on on many more layers. You also, though, have to remember that for the kids to learn all that all that content, we got together at the station five days a week after school. The kids came directly from school to the station. We went right. to the boardroom. They all sat around the boardroom, and we read through the scripts. Okay. If you read a thirty second sketch five times and discuss it you basically know the sketch yeah. you basically know the dialogue you're not it's not a monologue you're not there all by yourself for 30 right. seconds what Les was doing was not really paying attention to the writing he was paying attention to the delivery okay so that's why it wasn't that he couldn't remember it's that that really wasn't his priority yeah. right yeah yeah because I mean, every character he had had either a catchphrase or a certain delivery, uh, sure. of it, and which which and he was in, I would say, ninety five percent of the, you know sure. the sketches each show. Now, yeah. did I guess maybe to save money, did they would record like all the dungeon scenes all at once throughout the the episode, or maybe a, a few episodes get them all out of the way, or the you know the yeah um, so just to do all that. It it was. An exorbitantly expensive show to produce because there were so many actors. Right. And they were all union actors, so the kids got paid full union rates. Okay. Um, there were so many sets and locations that the time invested in switching, you know, if, if you were going to just record the show as is, so, you know, kitchen, living room, bathroom, dining room, yeah. uh, lockers, uh, link set, uh, classroom, dungeon. You'd have to have all those sets up and then 
switch the cameras and the lighting from one to the next to the next, get all the kids in and out of costumes, they would never have been able to get all of that vast quantity of content produced. So what was much more efficient was they would do five shows in a block. Okay. So we would shoot five episodes worth of kitchens all at once, five episodes worth of bathrooms, five episodes and so on and so on. Okay. And then all the time consuming stuff was in the editing suite. And the only person in the editing suite was Roger and the director and the tech guy. Okay. And we got a couple of weeks off and then we would come back and start again. Right. It was while it was while it was saving money, what it was really saving was time. Because you'd never, when you think of how complicated that show, if you sat down and 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 watched how many locations there were. Yeah, for sure. In one episode, in one, you know, 22 minute episode, um, you know, you're you're talking 30 different locations right how the hell would you yeah it's just it's just impossible to do yeah yeah but if you're just if you're just splicing and dicing and editing and cleaning up and polishing um in in that way you're looking at all of the kitchen scenes that also helps you with continuity you right. know and so um it was an unorthodox way to do it but it made it financially and um uh i think um, in terms of the richness, richness of the, 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 the consistency of it, I, I think that was one of the big reasons that it was a real standalone show. Right. Now, I know they had like, you know, the core cast, you know, Christine, Lisa, Alice, mm -hmm. you know, but then you would have like the other, you know, kids would come in. Now, how do they determine like scheduling th th those kids to come in for each episode? They all came. So we, we shot on weekends. Okay. So if they were in any scenes in five shows, they were all there for the read-throughs and they were all there all weekend long. Okay. So you'd have, a, you, as you say, you have, you know, you have the, um, Christine and Lisa and Doug and Kevin and uh, Alistair eventually and Vanessa, yeah. right? So you have six. Right. And then you'd have at least three or four others. So there'd be 10 kids plus less and and me right all sitting around the table and you know they'd get there around four four o'clock and we would rehearse until 5 30 and their parents would pick them up and take them home okay. and have supper and they had to keep their grades up so that was a huge commitment five days a week um until we would get that break while editing was happening right and then they got to be normal kids for okay. You know, two or three weeks. Right. Were there any like difficult like parents, you know, stage moms or whatnot? Nope. No, that's good. Roger, Roger uh, didn't allow the parents in the studio. Okay. Because then you have split focus. Carol was working with the kids, coaching them. They had acting classes, drama classes, and then when they're in the studio, there's only there's only two people you listen to. One is the floor director who says go right the other is roger would come in and say um let's try it this way or the director would say let's try mm -hmm. it this way but all of the all of this cementing it in place 
happened in the read-throughs. Okay. If you put a parent in there, the kid doesn't know who. Or to look, to look. Yeah. 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 Now, you're a character where you play the mom, librarian. One recurring theme was you always had gloves on, I noticed. Yes. Yeah. Was that your choice? Was that Roger's choice? How did the gloves come about? That was Nickelodeon's choice. So so I I had, uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, manicured today, right. <laughs> but I had a very elegant, lovely manicure. Okay. And the people from Nickelodeon uh, who came up to meet me, they were watching the recording and they said, you know, she doesn't have a housewife's hands. She doesn't, these don't look yeah. like a housewife's hands. Right. And they were actually suggesting to Roger to replace me. Hmm. And I said, hang on. And I walked over to the props cupboard and I said to the props guy, do we have any, any rubber gloves? And the first pair were pink. Okay. But I had a yellow apron. So the first the first scenes yeah. you see, first of all, the very first scenes, no gloves. Right. Then the pink gloves and then the yellow gloves. And it was to keep my job. Wow. So because the minute you put the gloves on, I have no hands. Yeah. So the librarian would not, it wouldn't have worked that she had this lovely, manicure. you know, she manicure. So yeah. white gloves. And by the way, white gloves for handling books. Right. So we found an excuse. We found right. a way for that to work. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's, you know, yeah. the wonders of, of television, definitely. But yeah. Like the, yeah, the mother and the father, which I mean, it cracks me up that he was a senator, which was it was really funny. I know. Yeah. But did they ever like because looking back, you know, a couple of years later when they're showing that like the Simpsons started and it seems like that was kind of the like inspiration for Homer and Marge. Yeah. Marge is me. OK, that's I what I kind of figured. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Between, Marge right. is me and Homer is uh, less live. Right. Uh, and and. uh different enough so it's yeah it look uh well, it's not bleak, but yeah but you know marge had a blue dress and her hair was very curly yeah and um and so yeah there were there were there were hints homer yeah. was a slob dad was a slob right right yeah 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 just you know not, not a senator but uh, you know he was a nuclear you know whatever yeah he was a blue collar yeah. guy yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah but when you look at look at the show everyone thinks about the most famous kid is Alanis Morissette, who ironically wasn't even on the show that much. I think she had maybe five or six episodes. She, yeah. 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 So what was like her experience on the show? Cause I know she's kind of like a little like, you know, I would say shy about talking about the show now. She always makes jokes that her twin brother was on it because of the hair. But what? She always kind of makes like joke when he talks about the show. It's like, no, I wasn't on the show. It was my twin brother because she oh, yeah. had short hair on the yeah. show. So, so Alanis, um, Alanis is one of those people who, by the time she was ten, she knew exactly what she wanted to do with her life. Okay. And you know, in the way that in the way that the, that our brains develop, the the front part of your brain the prefrontal cortex, it's in this part of the brain where you develop a, a, an understanding of cause and effect. And that's why, you know, and, and it, it only starts to develop really in your late teens, typically, generally. And that's why, you know, the 15 year old will stay out late the night before an exam and still think he's gonna, he's gonna be able to pass. Right. Whereas the 19 year old says, yeah, you know, maybe I, 
make it an early night and yeah. uh, don't don't get too drunk before the exam <laughs> right because you you understand the cost of things yeah most of those kids were first of all so well coached and and disciplined and therefore highly professional but beyond that they were still very much kids alanis she was a fully formed um, focused young lady who knew that she wasn't going to be an actress. She knew that she wasn't going to do the kind of thing, you know, going around and auditioning for stuff. Right. Her plan was to be a major singing star. That from the get-go on the show. So um, the opportunity for her, for the exposure, and the opportunity for her to, um, you know, make some really nice money that the parents would put in the bank for her was, was um, and they had been down in California, and it seemed like a really interesting character to add to the mix right. because she was so different. And, and the thing that was so much fun about the scenes that she was in, they made Alistair the rock star and Alanis the crazy fan, which right. is great, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um she she was disciplined and she was good at what she did and she was on time and she had had fun with the other kids but she didn't she wasn't interested in investing okay. that much of her out of school life in in that pursuit because it was over here right she intended to go she wanted to have more opportunities to appear and sing you know like the national anthem for the hockey game or yeah. or or go on tour and do shopping centers on weekends and well no you can't honey because you know you have to be there every weekend right. you have to be there after school every day yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't where she was going to go so that was the only reason that she wasn't she wasn't on very long because okay. she was she was really great. We had a lot of fun with her. She was right. fun. No, absolutely. And, and you mentioned about not having parents on this set. So mm -hmm. that kind of left you and Carol as kind of like the motherly types, I'd imagine. So, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> we, had a we had a chaperone on the show. Oh, okay. Um, the union provided a chaperone because, um, you know, the, the most extraordinary thing about our show, of which we are very proud, is that nothing happened to those kids no child was traumatized right nothing untoward went on beyond you know occasional hijinks but the but yeah. the horror stories that you hear about a right. lot of kids in show business yeah is because um there are predators yeah. and we didn't have any predators and we had a woman who was a social worker, li literally, for her career. Okay. And she had two sons on the show. Hmm. So they, the union, Roger and the union, asked her if she would be willing to be on set. She didn't have to come to the rehearsals. Okay. Um, because we're sitting around a boardroom table. I mean, it's, right. you know. But she came to all of the recordings, all of the, all of the sessions, yeah. so that... Any parents who might be concerned understood that the union uh, and the production company 
were paying her to be there. And because she was a professionally trained observer of human behavior, um, she had no problem stepping in and saying, I, I don't know that that's exactly appropriate if we're having the kids do this. I mean, some of the jokes about having a gun or some of the jokes about um, violence, she would say that that's, okay. I, I don't think that's right. So we, we all wanted those kids to have the best possible experience. Um, and that's, you know, Carol, Carol had kids of her own. Carol was coaching them, that's her job, teaching them how to be uh, professional enough to leave their childhood at the door, leave their stuff about school or their stuff about home at the door, come in, do the work, hang out with the other kid actors and develop that kind of close connection. And, you know, I wasn't in every scene. I certainly right. wasn't in the classrooms. I wasn't in the, you know, baths very often. Yeah. So we weren't the maternal guiding force by any okay. means. I certainly wasn't maternal. Right. <laughs> so it was definitely because, because of our chaperone that they got that sense that there was a, a maternal figure. And, and also, you know, we had, we had crew who really cared about mm -hmm. the kids, you know, our makeup artist, Lizzie and Brenda, of course, when she became the director. So, um, and a lot of, we had a lot of female crew working in the different departments. So they weren't, they weren't in an exclusively male environment. Okay. That's great. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Did all the kids like get along? Was there like chemistry like with them off the set as well as on? Um, they didn't hang out. It okay. was it wasn't like I'll meet you in the schoolyard. Right. Um it was a job. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And did you did you get along with some? Yeah, sure. When yeah. you're not in a scene and the cameras are on the kitchen, they're sitting on the link set. Okay. Um, and we all break for lunch and some of them got along and some of them yeah. did. And I know that Doug and Kevin and Brody yeah. got to be very close. And I know that Adam and Alistair got to be very close, okay. um, but that's just their personalities. Right. And of course, Christine and Lisa. And if, oddly enough, funnily enough, Doug and Vanessa were kind of a, you know, right. okay. cat and dog thing going on. Right. But, but but the different combinations of, of kids coming away, even especially the ones who were just, you know, um, secondary roles and yeah. there occasionally, they would form their different kind of little okay. groups. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now if you look at a show calling, you know, a teenage girl Moose, that wouldn't really fly now. <laughs> but I, so how did that nickname come about? And did, did Christine like it? Did she end up It was her nickname. It was her okay. nickname at her school. Oh, okay. Okay. Because she was this, um, it was it was the complete opposite. She wasn't a moose. She's right. tiny. Yeah. You know, she's four foot eight, and she weighed <laughs> eleven pounds, and she had hair. You know. Right. What's really funny, you know, it's it. What's really funny is, the older she gets, the more alike we look. <laughs> We've you know periodically because she's in Toronto and you know yeah. I'm Ottawa. Periodically, she'll come because her parents are still in Ottawa. Okay. She'll come into Ottawa, and and Carol and 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 Christine and I will meet yeah. for dinner or a drink, right? And we'll get somebody to take our picture. And it it she looks she looks like kind of 
we could be, be like, maybe yeah it didn't look like it then right <laughs> but but it's just it's just so weird that there's yeah. there's that kind of uh that, that kind of chemistry right that's funny <laughs> yeah yeah so why did she leave was it just because she just got older and she kind of aged out or she yeah. wanted to you know, okay she aged out she was she was um I, I know it's at least three. It might have been five years older than she looked. Okay. So when she left, so so the boys would leave because all of a sudden they would come back from the three weeks off and they'd be taller. Right. You know, and Brenda would say they would come back after the break and she'd look at their feet. If they were suddenly wearing size 27 sneakers, yeah, she would say, and this is the last season for him, and this is the last season for him. Yeah. Um, so when Christine came back from the break one day, I was looking at her and I thought, it's not going to work. The camera is going to realize, the camera is going to look in your eyes and you're not a little girl. Mm. You are 16 years old. Right. And the show aimed at the tween yeah right? 10 11 12 13 on the outside she was not and the same thing with lisa although lisa lisa carried it longer but you know there, there was an episode on makeup cosmetics and she had to be oh my god so excited about trying it and she'd been wearing makeup first of all right. in her private life yeah and makeup on the show right for four years yeah and they found it um confining and it was the first time they felt like it wasn't authentic they they felt like it was a bit of fakery and they didn't okay. feel comfortable with it okay so so they were actually okay then to leave them yes because well, they also, knew right yeah oh absolutely they all knew and, yeah. and and the thing is that you know the the jokes that are funny when you're 12 are a lot different are not funny when you're yeah. right. so they have to deliver it like it's funny yeah and they didn't have that kind of training okay hmm. okay i could consistently do mom you know i just i just kind of brought her voice up a little bit and uh well that's nice noel now yeah. noel have you done your homework dear like right. i can do that forever i'm still doing yeah. it you know right um she never really aged she never really changed. She never got taller, right? And dad, the same. Yeah. They are, they are, they are. As, as Les Lai's hair got grayer and grayer, they spent longer putting brown in his hair to keep right. it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever ask, like, what was his favorite character to play? It's funny. No, I didn't. Okay. Um, but I think... Uh, I think what he liked was the variety. I think what he loved was not that he was dad or that he was Ross or that he was the school teacher. It's that he was all of them. And it was the variety that right. he enjoyed. I really enjoyed when you know, you come to the read through and, oh, there's going to be a bunch of librarian sketches. Good. Cause I love playing her. Yeah. It doesn't mean I would rather play her than mom. It means that I get to do, you know, or, or and we've got this character, aunt Pookie, and she's one of those awful women who pinches a child's cheeks. Right. 
great. What, you know, what, what accent do we want? Yeah. Well, it's from the South. So that's the fun part for the actor is coming up with how that character is portrayed and what she's wearing. Right. So, and it was wonderful conversation. Let's try this on. And Lizzie would say, I've got a hat. It's perfect. And it's fun. It's really fun. Right. Yeah. So as we, we started this, I was wearing, you know, the, the slime hat. And it's still like a legacy of Nickelodeon, where I don't even think majority of the kids now who watch Nickelodeon see the slime know the origin of, of the slime. So how was that decided upon the show? Like you're going to have slime if someone says, I don't know, they're going to get slime dumped on their head. So it was an accident. Um, Roger, Roger had several kids of his own. And one of the things that annoyed him was when something in the house got broken or something went missing and he would say, all right, who did it? And they would all say, I don't know. And he, he wanted to devise a punishment for say, not, not the punishment for doing the thing, right. the punishment for saying that right. annoying phrase. One of you knows, you know? Right. <laughs> so what they were going to do was go to the school cafeteria, go to the, go to the, the studio cafeteria mm -hmm. and get garbage scraps from the kitchen and dump those out of a bucket on a kid's head. And the plan was to do that on a particular day. And something happened that we ran over time and we didn't get to that sketch. I wasn't there because I was usually not there when they were doing the dungeon scenes. Because okay. if they were doing the dungeon scenes, then they were often doing the detention room or they were doing those. Okay. So, so I wasn't there for that event, but I remember that uh, it was um, one of the crew members who said let me let me come up with something because when they the, when the, they came back the next day the, the 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 food had been thrown out because it was smelling bad right, right. so they have this garbage and um and so he created this thing that was icky and disgusting and slimy the crazy thing is that nickelodeon didn't have permission to take over slime. Okay. They had permission to use it to promote the show while they were broadcasting under contract. But once the, the license expired, they kept using slime and you had the, the kids choice awards and you right. had some stuff. Nickelodeon was actually um, poaching hmm. and um, it is still a legal battle okay because they they're saying so we're not going to pay you we didn't pay you make me and so it's a, a bone of contention hmm. that those hats yeah are not roger approved hmm. and roger created slime it's right. his um, it's his copyright and it has never been resolved. Hmm. So um, most kids think that slime is a Nickelodeon yeah. product. And there's a lot of people who aren't happy about that. But, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Nickelodeon had, has always 
except for us, because we were basically the show that put them on the map. They don't license, they don't get in partnership with shows that are union. And so they can basically pay a one-off and they don't have to keep coming back and honoring contracts. We were union. And so it's a struggle because, you know, so many decades gone by, new new, uh, administrators, new decision makers, um, they don't, they don't, they don't agree. So the lawyers have been arguing and nitpicking and niggling and nudging each other for quite a long time. By the way, Nickelodeon is not like, how dare they all, all studios try to get away with it. Of course. Yeah. 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 Well, why pay for something when you can, you know, if you can get it for free. Absolutely. Free, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, cause they have, you know, this, the show called slime time. They had the splat, like you mentioned kids choice awards. I think that's the commercials for it already. And just like everything is slime, slime, yeah. slime on there. So, yeah. 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 So the show finally started streaming on Paramount plus at least the first season is on there now. Yeah. Uh, it's never been on DVD, and I'd imagine it's because the amount of cast members also to get them on board to sign and so many like different like I mean, residuals. I'd imagine to, to pay so, so many of the kids as well, right? It'd be costly to get it on DVD. Yes, to all of that, and the organization it would take to create that product right and where you would store it and who would be in charge of selling them because there is no production company anymore right it's roger he's not going to go into business selling dvds yeah there is no team behind him so well they could just blah blah there is no they there's Roger. Right. So then who, you know, why can't we do this? Why couldn't they do that? Who, who, yeah. who, and who, who would front the money to do that? Because you need the, you need a, you need to have the stuff uh, digitally enhanced, right? altered. It has to be transferred. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't do DVDs anymore. No. So you're going to package it. Uh, you have to, um, ship it who's paying for that who is the one taking the packages to the post office right when there's only roger so what people are thinking about is that the production company that that existed then still exists doesn't the building where the show was produced burned down oh wow so a long time ago right so where where are we storing all this stuff so that means hire people get equipment get storage get a a drop ship thing going on and manage the flow of money in money out Hmm. hire the people to do that right how much are those DVDs going to cost? Yeah. Have to front load all of those people, all of those costs. And then, oh, by the way, pay royalties to the actors. Yeah. 
how much, how well, I, I would pay, I'd be happy to pay, you know, whatever the DVD set of the 10 years of it. Yeah, you're going to do it all together, you could do a season at a time. It's a, it's a lot of decision, a lot of work. Yeah. Somebody has to remaster that. Right. Somebody has to re-edit that. Somebody has to get a designer in to design the look of the product. Yep. Right. Who, how, what, who's paying that? Yeah. We haven't sold any DVDs yet. I, I'd be willing to pay a hundred bucks. Okay. So that's one. Right. Exactly. You're going to get <laughs> how many of those you're going to have to get. To, so we're, know, we're going to have to, yeah. we're going to have to pre-sell a million of them. Right. <laughs> to pay for the everything, you know, yeah. this is what people, this is what people don't realize. Right. And by the way, Paramount Plus hasn't paid us for the use of the show either. Right. Of course. So there is no revenue coming in. So it's a it's a very awkward. And you know what's really sad? Once the the license expired. um, And the show continued to be shown. Those children didn't get paid hmm. so children were not paid right how is that fair it's not <laughs> i mean f- f- the writers the producers less lie abby haggard okay maybe you say well i guess we just you know chalk it up to experience why is it okay to not pay dougie right why is it okay to not pay um alistair who you know that you know that all these big production companies and and cable networks and you know the mm-hmm. Paramount and Netflix and you know they're making money off the advertisers. Of you know that they're selling ads. Yeah. You know that that and and it, the show costs them nothing because they're not remastering anything. They just got the original. Yeah. And they air mm-hmm. it. Yeah. No cost to them, and they're gaining all that advertising revenue. And none of those former children or the writers are being rewarded. Right. There's something wrong with that. No, I agree. It happens all the time. Yeah. So, so, um, well, couldn't Nickelodeon just, sure they could. They could. Yeah. Why would they? Right. Why, 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 why would they, if they don't have to, you know, if, if I've, it's, you know, if, if it's going to cost me $12 million or $50 million, uh, why would I give you $50 million if I can get away with it if I don't have to? Right. So this is one of those, this is one of those scenarios in which you need, you need watchdogs, you need penalties that are stiff and steep so that everybody abides by the rules. It was a very big deal. I don't know if you remember, but when the internet came into being, there was a huge Hollywood strike of of actors, writers, and and producers because there were no rules set in place for how do the actors get rewarded for unlimited exposure on the internet. Right. And Ed Asner was a very vocal and and visible presence heading up that because you know the Mary Tyler Moore show was in reruns and they got paid for reruns on television, but not a a single dime. Right. 
So all of all of that, you know, the internet would say, hey, it's going to be 24-7. And somebody says, how do we uh, how do we police that? How do we know who's watching it? Yeah. How do we know how many times somebody's watching it? Right. So it was a it was sort of like cart before horse. Yeah. So it's very complicated. And um, you know, and people are not all people are honest and not all people are are um honorable. Yeah. And so you you need to have uh, strict rules, right. especially in show business, right? <laughs> oh, well, because you know yeah. the, the terrible thing. Here's the thing about show business that is is one of those cat twenty twos. People so desperately want to be loved. Yeah. People so desperately want to feel like they belong. People so desperately want to be uh, important. When they're desperate they will make unwise decisions and allow themselves to be compromised. Right. And we look at these things with people like Harvey Weinstein, and, you know, that the, the, the allure of uh, come on up to my uh, hotel room and uh, we'll talk about your career. Right. You know, I mean, the casting couch is called the casting couch for, for a reason. Yeah. yeah. So if you have strict rules and strict punishments, you're still going to have people who are so desperate that they'll compromise themselves. And then you get, you know, I mean that the whole Bill Cosby thing, I know, you know, all of that, he was, he was so beloved because he was so funny and so clever. Yeah. The other side of it, people believed yeah. that he was who they saw on television. Right. So all these checks and balances, all these boundaries, all of these, as I said, we are so proud that none of that stuff, our show right we we looked after and took care of the vulnerable vulnerable people because it's the right thing to do right which which is which is true yeah 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 now before even you know got into the show i you worked for playboy magazine right (laughs) yeah Yeah, you know not in the magazine but you worked for the magazine so so what was that experience like how did that come about um I, I was, uh, my dad was military, so okay. we lived everywhere uh, for 15 minutes. <laughs> and um, when he when he retired, he said, I'm not going to stay in Canada because I'm not going to shovel snow. <laughs> so I've always wanted to retire to Florida. So we went to Florida and um, I went to uh, Miami-Dade Junior College and mm-hmm. I discovered that they were using my 10th grade textbooks because the standard of yeah. schooling was so vastly different, Canada, U.S. Okay. And I got offered a job. Um, I, I, I got a part-time job while I decided what I wanted to do with myself. Yeah. And it was a, a magazine company. And they invited me to go to New York and work in their New York office. And when I got there, I didn't like the people. I didn't like the work and I didn't like anything about it. So I started looking for a job. And, and how I looked for the job was I went to a, a, a placement agency. And they took one look at me and said, oh, my God. Uh, we know exactly where to send you because they're looking for an executive secretary. And they just gave me the address. And I went to this place and in the building, got off the elevator, the elevator door opens and there's the bunny thing on the wall. And, and the funny thing about being hired, it's almost like the same story with Roger. I said, I'm here to see this person. Oh yes. Down the hall. He's in a bad mood. Okay. So I, I tapped on the door. What is it? And, uh, and I stuck my head and I said, I'm, I'm here 
about a job. And he said, I don't have time for that sort of thing. And then his phone rang and his office was covered in paper. Okay. He was the advertising director for the whole magazine. So it was paper and proofs and uh, everywhere. Right. The phone wasn't visible and it's ringing and he's looking around and it really, it looked like somebody had just thrown a grenade in and closed the door, (laughs) you know? And he said, if you find the phone before it stops ringing, you're hired. Wow. (laughs) And so, so I, I looked down and I, I saw the phone Jack in the wall and I just followed it (laughs) and I found it and I answered it. Well, it's still, you know, um, Mr. Mr. Rich's office, uh, who's calling? Uh, Who am I? Well, well, I'm his executive secretary. (laughs) And so, so my job, uh, typical with any, any large organization, because New York was the, the advertising headquarters. Right. um, Was that I, transcribed kept records kept correspondence that each of the salesmen who were selling ad space for the magazine would then have to present in in for approval to my boss so i was in charge of coordinating all that Hmm. and um we had a very interesting thing happen i of course got to meet Hugh Hefner. Right. And he took one look at me because I was, I was fairly, I was a fairly cute little blonde back then. <laughs> and he said, I have an idea. Um, we should have you as uh, our, our playmate of the year, our in-house playmate. Right. And I said, nope. nope. <laughs> and, and he said, I don't think you understand what you're being offered. And I, I said, I'm not interested. And um, he got my mother on the phone to try and convince me. And my mother had no idea, no idea, because they were down in Florida still. And I said, Mom, I'm not doing it. And, and she said, well, he said it's very tasteful. And, and I said, yeah. So after that phone call, I said, um, here's why I'm not doing it. Blondes have a very difficult time being taken seriously. And if I do this, I will always be wondering when the day is going to come that I will be having a serious conversation with somebody and they will all of a sudden interrupt me and say, Miss November, right? And I will be mortified. I will be horribly typecast as someone I'm not. I don't take my clothes off in public. I don't, I'm not that person. So I'm going to respectfully decline. He said, but I'll make you famous. I'll make you this, I'll make you that. And I said, and I will never live it down. So, you know, but you know, the irony, right? No, you know, the irony is that I have been been horribly typecast as a ridiculous looking mom in rubber gloves for God's sake. (laughs) You know, the irony is not lost on me, but if I had a choice, I would much rather be typecast, recognized, and fondly remembered as the mom that millions of kids right. thought of as their second mom than a vampy blonde with no clothes on. Yeah. I think it's more 
I think it's more beautiful. I think it's more, and, and besides I got to play other characters as well. Right. It gave me an opportunity to be recognized as, a, 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 as an actor, as somebody who people gravitated to, as opposed to a poster on a wall. And I think, I mean, let me ask you, you, your memories of me as a mom really remind you of your childhood, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, to me, that's a much, that's a much more rewarding legacy. Right. And watching you for all those years is more important than maybe remembering, oh, you were Miss January sometime. Well, 1492, so, you know, yeah. Right, and there's 12 of those each year, and then the Playmates are 13, so that's Even a if lot I was the Playmate years. of the Year, you know, I mean, even that, Marilyn, yeah. Marilyn Monroe was Playmate of the Year. You know, mm -hmm. um, uh, all these women who had their moment. Right. Okay, but they're all, they're all naked women. And did it help their career? Only, only if they were playing vamps. Only if they were selling themselves as as uh, sexualized women, right? Uh, airbrushed sexualized women. Mm. I get to um, I get to be uh, recognized as an idiot, um, <laughs> but yeah. but in a way that a lovable, a lovable idiot. And you yeah. know, and the librarian. You know what I love most about the librarian is that she was continually affronted and surprised that she had to deal with so many children. <laughs> the school library. The library right. Where, 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 yeah. why, why, have so many why do we have to have so many children in the library? Well, because yeah. it's the school library. Yeah. And so the, the, the foolishness of that, yeah. it has a, more, has a more delicious quality, right? Yeah. And there's more interaction as well. I mean, the, the, the Playboy, playmate of the year or, the, or you know miss whatever month they didn't talk no. it was a static shot and then if they got a modeling contract former former you know playboy model yeah. thingamabob right former miss america yeah. and then who, pretty. Yeah. right and, and who knows that they would have let you be on the show a kid's show oh god no yeah so and so but it's it's funny to say to people, especially you know, because I have some fairly fabulous blonde pictures, and there were some characters where I got to be blonde on the show. Right. Do Do you remember the uh, creme de peanut uh, commercial uh, okay. as a blonde in a black sequin? Right. Dad, right. Yeah. And the and the uh, the doctors uh, blonde nurse. Yeah. I can talk. I mean, I got to do some fairly fabulous characters. Yeah. Uh, but I also got to then interact with people as opposed to being um, decorative. Right. That's good. Yeah. Much more valuable to me. I, I agree. You made the right choice. Definitely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So if people want to get the book Fame, how can they get it? It's on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's called Fame, the Collector's Edition. And how they can buy it is, uh, my advice is you type Fame the Collector's Edition, Abby Hagyard, and Shazam, there it is. Cool. And then on social media, what website, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook, um, okay. Abby Hagyard. I, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, and so they can uh, look me up, Abby Hagyard Fame. 
and I'm doing um, videos, uh, some of them preloaded and some of them live. There's some podcasts. There's some just voiceover stuff. There's clips from the show. And, uh, and I'm working on this really interesting project, Noel. I've called it Pivotry Motion. Okay. And Pivotry is much more elegant and interesting than just a pivot. It is what happens to us when everything changes and we think we don't know how to cope. We think we are helpless. And, and people say, you got to try harder. You got to do more. You got you to chase it if you want it. And it's not true. As an actor, I know that if somebody says, okay, so on Saturday, you're going to be doing mom. And on Sunday, you're going to be doing the librarian. I know perfectly well that I, I know where to go and get the librarian's voice. I know where that lives. I know because I've been asked so often to do it. And by the way, they're paying me. So I'm paying attention as to where it is. Right. If I said to you, the way you talk to a brand new puppy in your family is not the way you talk to your boss at work when you're asking him for a raise. Right. You say, who's a good boy to the puppy? You don't go to see your boss and say, who's a good boy? Can I yeah. have a raise? He, he'd, he'd call a padded truck for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how do you pick which quality of your personality that you use with the puppy and with your boss? And the thing is, it's not a conscious decision. It's, it's, a, it's a completely unconscious yeah. decision and it's automatic. It's, it's a spontaneous reaction like a chameleon changes color. We are transformers. Right. So if we are that, and we are, then all of the helplessness that people are feeling kind of as a result of the pandemic, because of COVID, because of the overwork, the, 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 the lack of resources, the fear that people are sick, not knowing when it's going to end, how long am I going to be homeschooling my kids, the uncertainty undermines your confidence in yourself. It exhausts you. You can't bring your A game. So you panic and you think, I'm not good enough. I'm 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 a loser. I'm I'm just not I'm not who I used to be. It's not the way it was. Right. That's incorrect. If people know that they do it, yeah. if I show them how they do it and they realize I'm right, you don't have to be an actor. So what this project is, it's going to be a collection of books. The book this is what it's about and then I've interviewed 40 people. 40 ordinary everyday people right. who make a significant shift in their lives in some way. Mm. And the question I've asked them, much the way I asked people, what's your definition of fame? I've said, so what was the, what triggered the leap? What triggered you saying, okay, that's it. I, it's not good enough. Uh, I, I have to do this. And, and what I've come away with is, it's, a, it's an interesting little equation. You have to be dissatisfied enough to be curious about what you could have. Hmm. You have to, because, you know, if, and, I, and I, I do this to, to, to make people laugh, to surprise them. I said, people say about their lives, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. 
I'm no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, you know, it, it could have been great, but it, it's not that bad. And then I say to them, you know, if I went shopping with with you, and I said I, I I'm going to try on this dress, and I'll be out, and I want you to tell me what you think. I come out in the dress, and I say, so Noel, what do you think? And if you said to me, it's not that bad. Yeah. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to go back in the fitting room. I'm going to take that dress off, and I'm going to burn it. Right. Because yeah. I don't think I'm going to wear it's not that not bad. Not that bad. Yeah. It's like, you know, you know how how unhappy you are if you ever make the mistake of saying to your wife, Yeah, you look fine. Oh, I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so once we hit a moment where it wasn't that bad, and all of a sudden, yeah, it is. This, yeah. Now you're going to have you're going to pull that ability out of nowhere spontaneously. It's not conscious. You will say to hell with that and you'll do it. And you won't even realize you did it. So I said, well, what if I can show you? What if you become aware? Then you can do it all the time. Right. Then you're, then you, you got your mojo back. So it's going to be the book and then all the interviews with all these people, all the different examples of it. And then a little workbook and some seminars and some exercises and how to do it. Because I think that, you know, maybe I really, maybe I really am a mom after all. Mm -hmm. right. If I can give people a sense of, I'm walking here. How are you doing? Yeah. If, if I can just say, it's right there. It's, it's right there. It's yours. It's right there. I will have a better time because everybody around me will be in a better mood. Everybody around me will feel um, that they've got something of themselves back. So isn't that a cool project? Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to reading it. Like, yeah. And I, I think it's because then can you imagine it's a podcast like this and, and somebody says, I, I, I want an opportunity. You know, I've been watching your videos and talking about pivotry. Um, let me tell you about myself. Can you show me how to do it? Yes, I can, boys and right. girls. Yes, I can. How cool would that be? How much fun would that be? No, it really would. No, that's, that's definitely. Because then, and so when I, this is what I do. Uh, uh, I know we're going long, but this is so cool. <laughs> sure. I get invited to go to these fan con events, right? Right. My, my booth is not like anybody else's booth. <laughs> I don't sit behind a table and say, hi, and I'll yeah. sign the picture. And who right. do I make it? No, no. First of all, I turn the table this way so that we can walk around it together okay. and look at stuff. But then I have, so I have the sides of the booth with uh, banners. And one side is a photograph of the lockers. Okay. And the other side is a photograph of the Care Bears because I've voiced three right. Care Bears and, yeah. you know. And then I have a section that is mirror. It's, it's their flexible mirror tiles. So nobody, you know, if they fall, they don't break and so on. Yeah. And I have two big baskets of feather boas. <laughs> so when people come to my booth, I say, and you realize that when you step into the booth with me, I mean, I'm famous. I'm a diva. Yeah. <laughs> you step into the booth with me, you're famous too. So of course you need to have a feather boa on. Oh, of course. Yes. So do you want the green one or the blue one or the, so then they say, Oh, well, I don't really. And so, you know, and I have, I have a photographer. Okay. And 
I say, now here's how it works in my booth. Because you're a diva, because you're famous, and I can tell because you're wearing a boa. Right. I, I'd like your autograph on one of the banners. Now, which is your favorite show? Is it You Can't Do That or is it the Care Bears? Okay. And they they get all caught up in it and they choose and they, they stand in front of the mirror and they kind of primp and they fluff the boa and the photographer's taking right. their pictures, right? And then they autograph the banner and the photographer says, over here, over here. Yeah. And so they're doing their wow. thing. Do you know what I've done? I've shown them pivotry. Hmm. I have given them the tool right. and they they don't even see me do it. They have no clue yeah. until later. And so it's not the same picture that you see in yeah. all of this picture with the celebrity thing. Right. It's it's highly interactive. So that in the same way that people felt that the show understood them and the kids felt hmm. that it was almost like they they were on the show. It was so cool to be part of. Well, now they're 45 years old and they're in the booth with mom. They're wearing a feather boa. Right. With Abby, Abby mom. There's a mannequin with the mom costume. Hmm. There's the three of us, the person, mom and me. Hmm. And and it it becomes it becomes they they come into the booth in one frame of mind. And they leave completely different. different. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's great. How fun is that? Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. I am giving people, um, without without them feeling that they're being taught something, I'm sneaking up on them. And I I think that's so funny. I mean, given the way I look, I can actually sneak up on people. (laughs) Um, But what I'm giving them is a sense of pride and fun and mischief that they don't get enough of anymore. Because hmm. once you grow up, you sort of forget that mischief is a good idea. You know? Yeah, true. <laughs> it's no calories and it doesn't cause cavities and it yes. and it's fun. So right. and I think I think so in that way, it's a different show, but then these are different times. Of course. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm doing. That's Isn't great. That yeah, that, that's awesome. I'll have to somehow come to a convention and take a picture with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the funny thing is, at one of the shows, I had the, I had five photographers. Okay. And um, it just kind of worked out that way. I only paid one of them, but there were others there, right? And uh, so they were all calling. So you can imagine it's you and me, and we both got yeah. boys. And, and it's like the paparazzi, no, no, over here, here, over here, over here. Right. And the, and the, and the people are all like, uh, um, uh, you know, doing this thing, and they then they walk away from the booth, and they're all they're all buzzed up, and they're oh god, that was a fun right, totally different. And when I go and do these events, and I tell the organizer I'm going to do it, and they don't believe they don't believe it'll work, and then they come over. You can see them coming over, and they're standing there, they're saying they're five deep watching this go on because for the people walking by, right. It's a show going on. Yeah. Right? It's so it's it's like so many layers of of fun and magic. So channel your hidden power, right? Yeah. That's that's fantastic. I really <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But Abby, I, I had so much fun talking to you tonight. This, this well, was thank you. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um best of luck with that project and everything else and uh thank you thank so you. much. And I'll see you on Facebook. What yeah. I say at the end <laughs> of my videos
Yeah. Uh, I, say, I say two things at the end of my videos. Be good to you because you deserve it. And remember to hug your loved ones because they deserve it too. So I'm saying it to you on, on this video conversation. Be good to you. Give yourself permission to rest and do self-care and hug your loved ones. And if they're saying, what are you hugging me for? You say, mom told me I had to. <laughs>